0: There he goes, one of God's own prototypes, a high-powered mutant of some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, and too rare to die. Welcome to Episode 70 of the Digital Freemason Podcast for the week of December 3rd, 2007. I'm your host, Scott, and I'll be taking you along on my excellent adventures to the world of short Masonic educational papers. These papers and others are available at the podcast website, www.thedigitalfreemason.com. This week's episode comes from most worshipful, oh right worshipful brother, George Bar- George Barclay, who presented this uh, in 1913 in New Zealand, and it deals with some of the Masonic symbols. and goes back through to the times of the Phoenicians, and way back... Uh, Egyptians and the annals of time, taking some of those leaps of faith as to uh, those who feel that uh, Masonry has its roots back to ancient, ancient times. But anyway, enough of the yammering on here, let's get going with uh, the great brother Barclays, Peace, the Masonic Symbols. This presentation is uh, under the heading of Masonic Symbols, and it's not. R. George Barclay's own compilation, but was given to him a number of years ago by brothers in southern New Zealand. And he thinks that even those people didn't claim authorship. But he was allowed, to, but probably elaborated on some extent. So R. Barclay will be doing a little bit more of his own elaboration. And so the original objects of our secret rites, symbols, and mysteries have been a subject of inquiry. for while at this point it was over six hundred years. Many believe that the connection of Freemasonry to the Temple of King Solomon is but allegorical. In the lecture of the first tracing board, we are informed that the usages and customs of Freemasonry bear a near affinity to those practiced by the ancient Egyptians, and indeed there are many remarkable coincidences between them, which I shall mention further on. Egypt appears to have been the salient point from which the religions of ancient world commenced, and was also, if not the birthplace of, the early protector of the sciences, and cherished every species of knowledge known and cultivated in remote times. From thence the Hebrews drew many of their customs, of which the volume of the sacred law afforded ample evidence of the denunciation of Moses and other prophets. The Phoenicians, who were handy and an adventurous seafaring race, no doubt were early attracted by the Egyptian religious customs, and carried them into every land to which their frail barks voyaged. Through them the Druids of old gathered many rites and observances, and more than one eminent writer has affirmed that many of our customs are Druidical in origin. Pythagoras, the inventor of geometry, and of that celebrated Masonic emblem, the 47th problem, which is briefly that in rectangular triangles the square of the side that is opposite the right angle is equal to the two squares of the sides which contains the right angle, and lived for twenty-two years in Egypt studying the various Egyptian doctrines and sciences, and at the end of that term returned to Greece and founded those celebrated schools of philosophy which are evident archetypes of masonry. His method of instruction, formed upon the Egyptian model, were exoteric and esoteric, that is, public and private. Only a few of his selected disciples, called companions, were admitted to the mysteries of the esoteric doctrines. In this resembling our craft, and archmasonry. The Egyptian priests were well acquainted with the signs of the zodiac, and their most ancient monuments are covered with figures, among them the crab, the goat, the bull, and the lion are frequently to be found. It becomes a convenient custom with the rulers to expose in public a small figure or single letter notifying the exact time which certain general work had to be performed or dangers threatened the great annual event with which the well-being of Egyptians was bound up. It was the first called the fertility of their land, and was the inundation of the Nile. This was always preceded by a strong wind blowing from north to south, about the time that the sun passed through Cancer, the crab. Shortly after the sun having reached Leo the Lion, they observed in the morning one of the largest and most brilliant stars of the whole heavens ascending into, into the horizon. It appeared a little before the rising of the sun, which had rendered it almost invisible earlier in the year. As it was only a short time seen and then would disappear below the horizon, it seemed to the Egyptians to show itself as a warning. They therefore called this star Thad, or Dog, and also Anubis or Monitor, and the prudent observers on seeing it retired to the higher ground seeing it, retired to the higher grounds and awaited the annual flow. This dog-star, as we are taught, is the same moral for the emblem, vis-à-vis it represents that prudence, which should appear conspicuous in the conduct of every mason, and be the guiding star of our lives. The all-seeing eye, which to us represents the true God, was among the Egyptian an emblem of the sun. These are these are well as many other symbols were made use of by the priests and the rulers to inculcate the rule of morals, as well as the regulation of agriculture and to perpetuate among the people the knowledge of important truths and religious dogma. We describe our lodge as extending in length from east to west, in breadth from north and south, as high as the heavens, and in depth from the earth's surface to its center but which is evident that it is supposed to represent the world on which all plans of the ancient pagan temples were formed. In the center of the roof of the celebrated Freemasons Hall in London, a splendid sun is represented, surrounded surrounded with the twelve signs of the zodiac. These were early in every temple. All pagan religious edifices were constructed, in fact, to face due east, to receive the first rays of the sun, which was a universal object of worship. This was a custom among the Egyptians, the Chaldeans, the Persians, and the Indians, and, in imitation thereof, the tabernacles in the wilderness, King Solomon's Temple, the Second Temple, and St. Paul's Cathedral, together with many religious buildings of present day, have been erected in this manner. During part of the initiation ceremony, we, are, we place the candidate at the northeast angle informing him that it is customary to lay the first or foundation stone in that part of the building. The origin of this is to account for thus. Egyptian astronomers taught that the creation of the world took place in a precise period of time when the sun rose in Leo, and admitting that they came to the conclusion when the constellation was in the north east at the rising of the sun, it would be quite in accordance with their system of worship to instruct that all their large buildings would be commenced in this manner. Our lodges are said to be upheld by three great pillars, Wisdom, Strength, and Beauty, represented respectively by the Worshipful Master and the Senior and Junior Wardens. This triad is to be found in every, nearly every system of religion. For instance, in Britain the Druidical Lodge was practically supported by three stones or pillars. In Hindu mythology, it contains the same three pillars, each crowned with a head. Wisdom, placed in the east, was the chief Brahman, sat on a brilliant throne, symbolizing Brahma, the creator of the world. Strength in the west was represented by Vishnu, who sat at the setting sun, and beauty in the south was the personification of Siva, at the meridian sun. The floors of ancient temples were of mosaic work probably so called after the name of the month in which the Egyptians tiled the plains after the subsiding of the Nile. There were terms of Moses meaning saved from the waters, it being remembered that their religious edifices were all typical of the world. It is not unreasonable to surmise that they they represented by this flooring the variegated and beautiful face of the earth during the nine months of Moses, while agriculture was in full swing. In all regularly and properly constituted lodges, there is a point within a circle bound north and south by two parallel lines who were perfect lines parallel perfect parallel lines in Christianity as well as masonry. The circle was always an emblem of the sun, and as an astrologi- astronomical figure may be referred to in its circuit, the point is the centre of the supreme being, and the parallel lines, the solstices within which the circuit is limited, thus the mason, by keeping himself in due bounds in imitation of this glorious luminary, will not wander from the path of duty. It is curiously coincident that church rituals at the present day fix the birthdays of the two St. Johns at the period of the solstices. The few examples I have Mentioned here, I think there is good reason to conclude that Freemasonry has derived most of its symbols from the most ancient of all religions, that of the Egyptians, and still uses them for that same purpose, that being to impress on our minds the duties we owe to God as our Creator and to man as the fellow as our fellow-creatures. In conclusion, I would just refer to the number three, which was highly esteemed among the ancient and enters largely into our symbolisms, three knocks, three great lights, three working tools in each degree, three movable and immovable objects, three great pillars, three rungs of Jacob's ladders, those being faith, hope, and charity. Defined by an eminent writer thus, faith as a genus of of spring, hope of summer, and charity of fall. Faith of spring, because faith and work must always go together. Hope of summer, because the sun looks vertically down upon the seeds which have been committed to faith to the fertilized girth. And charity of autumn, because then man realizes that from the earth the result of his faith and works. The three virtues of an entered apprentice, an attentive ear, a silent tongue, and a faithful heart. An attentive ear is to be given to instruction of superiors in knowledge and to call of a worthy and distressed brother. Our ceremonies aim at inculcating lessons of wisdom, which are which an attentive ear will remember. Although there are, alas, many who enter the porch of Freemasonry, and who, for want of this virtue, fall asleep in the arms of in- indolence, and don't, do not penetrate beyond the surface, thus missing the golden treasures which awake, await him who seeks. A silent tongue is essential virtue for Masons, so that the veil of mystery may not be incautiously drawn aside. It also reminds us to speak no evil of any man. It is more honorable to vindicate than to accuse. Whom we cannot approve we should pity in silence. A faithful heart is necessary to fulfill our obligations, and is the safe repository in which we lock up our secrets and exemplify our honor and fidelity. And last, brethren, the three great tenets or principles of our order, brotherly love, relief and truth. Brotherly love is the strongest cement of our order, and without it Freemasonry would cease to exist. By it we are taught to regard the whole human species as one family to aid, support and protect each other. Relief flows from brotherly love, and it is the duty incumbent on all men, and more especially Freemasons to soothe the unhappy, relieve the distressed, and restore peace to their troubled minds. Truth is a divine attribute, and the mother of virtue. The first lesson Masonry teaches us is to be fervent and zealous in the pursuit of truth, and to dispense with it freely, or, in other words, when the fleet vanities of life brief stay, oblivion's hurrying wings shall sweep away, each act by charity, by mercy done, high over the wreck of time, shall live alone. So there's some of Ray Rocheval, Brother Barclay's thoughts on some of the ancient symbology of uh, Freemasonry. I think that he takes a little bit of a step back a little bit further and reaches beyond what uh, ah, I feel comfortable with as to the uh, history of Freemasonry, maybe there's some roots in there, I think there's a few leaps of faith, but all in all, it's still always good to have that sort of information floating around. So, I've been your host, Scott, and I've enjoyed our time together, and if you have any thoughts or comments, you can email me at podcast at com, or you can come by and visit our website and look and read and listen to this and all the other episodes, as well as leave comments on our guest book. And so until next time, be sure to keep the shiny side up.